What if a black girl knew? You are listening to WIA BGK, the What If a Black Girl Knew podcast. I am your host, Dilemma, and I have another special guest for you today, JJ Bola. I was a bit of a late bloomer, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, whilst, you know, all my, all my friends, all my guy friends were out getting girls and this and that, like I was just kind of like by the sidelines. I haven't even stepped on the court yet, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> So um, it was it was almost like a case of me slowly having to discover myself. Um, and one thing I, I, I learned, I would say this, especially to any uh, young man, is don't don't force it. Like never force anything. Always be accepted. Always be comfortable with who you are and accept yourself first. Like I remember late teens slash early 20s, I was really like on my ones. Like I went... You know, everyone was getting girls, everyone was having sex, everyone was dating. I wasn't really doing none of those things. And it's not to say that I wasn't trying to. Like, a brother was trying. I just <laughs> wasn't getting no love. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm getting no play. I had no game. I had no juice. I had no sight. <laughs> hey, we, we give thanks now. We thank God. We can laugh now, you know. <laughs> we can laugh now. It was not funny then, you know. <laughs> a brother was stressing. It was not funny then. And I remember, like, those who were rejecting me then, um, I just felt really, really bad about it. And it took a lot for me to overcome that and to find myself and be confident in who I am. And then I go on my path, and those are, like, literally the same people now who are coming back to me and saying, oh, my gosh, and just, like, really being quite overt and throwing themselves at me. And not in a, like, mm, I, that sounds a bit, like, yeah, a bit weird. Like, crude. not in a crude way, yeah, but just in but a they, way, like, yeah, they like, there's now. a certain level of attention yes. that they're now affording you yes. that they didn't think you were worthy of before, yes. you know. Um, and I always say, like, you know what, just make sure you stay on your own path and you stay true to you. Um, and all, and that relates to masculinity because a lot of the times for, in terms of masculinity, like there's a lot of men who are performing, mm-hmm. you know, who are performing in masculinity when it comes to getting girls, when it comes to, you know, flashy cars or flashy this or whatever, whatever, they're performing because they want people to see the value in them, but they don't know how to do that. So they're using materialism or sex or whatever to, as a way for them to get people to see value in them. So, yeah, I would always say like just, you know, see the value in yourself first and and then everything else will work out. JJ Bola is an established writer and author. Between 2012 and 2015, he released three poetry collections called Elevate, Daughter of the Sun and Word. JJ Bola's work is centered on a narrative of empowerment, humanization, healing of trauma, as well as discovery of self through art, literature, and poetry. His debut novel, No Place to Call Home, was first published in the UK in 2017 and in North America in 2018. JJ speaks and performs both internationally and within the UK. Writing is really, I guess, like what? I put out or have come to be known as known for the most, but I'm also like quite musical, um, play a bit of guitar, sing kind of badly or write some songs. <laughs> <laughs> I don't actually sing in public, but I'm the best singer in the world in the shower and that, in yeah, it, in yeah, a bar, yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> sold out tours and that. Um, but, and, and also I used to, I used to, and I love, I love drawing, but I don't really get 
the time to draw as much as I, I used to. Um, and I think it's just important to have as many creative outlets as possible. Also, to remind you that you're not the best, it's really humbling yes. when, say, if you're a really good writer or a really good musician or a really good artist, right? And if that main thing that you do is your first thing, it's also important to have a second outlet of creativity to remind yourself you're not the best <laughs> like do you know what i mean yes. no matter how great a writer i think i am mm-hmm. when i try and play the guitar mm-hmm. i'm not the best yes. like do you know what i mean i'm really average <laughs> yes. you know so it's a way to like kind of humble yourself and also just get in in in, in tune with um, different forms of your creative for me the foundation of all writing is reading yes so i've always read like i grew up in you know, a household where, like, my parents, you know, very kind of, like, strict African Congolese parents are like, read, read, read. And then so, I, so rather than, like, at first I was, like, stubborn. Mm-hmm. And then after, I did start to read a lot and I actually enjoyed it. Yeah. And I got to the point where I wanted to find out, um, I wanted to find out as much as possible the answers that I had questions uh, to, the questions that I had answers to and all of that, um, vice versa I think I said that the wrong way around but um I just I just I was just kind of fulfilling uh, my curiosity and then I just started writing by accident I just kind of like I got I remember I was a stage in my life where I really felt like I didn't have an outlet you know and at this point I I wasn't a writer or a poet I do you know what I mean I, I didn't um I didn't associate with any of those things um but I just found myself little notebook here, whatever, just writing stuff, writing stuff down, writing how I was feeling, writing little poems and songs and whatever, without even knowing what they were. And then eventually, um, I went to my first open mic, and this was like back in like, what we now? So this is near 10 years ago now. And then it was just accidental. A couple of people said they liked my poem. I was like, okay. I had one poem at the time, really and truly. Um, and then it just started to go from there. And then I remember like a couple of years later, I got paid for my first gig. And I was like, wow, you can get paid for like 15 minutes of work? <laughs> That's unbelievable. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, obviously, like, it's not like you're getting paid 15 minutes for the whole day. Like, you know, that would be something else. But it's just that. And it's like, I was doing this for free anyway, yeah. you know. And, yeah. and then someone adds the kind of monetary value to it. You're like, okay. But also, I think the most important thing was how many people was identifying with what I was writing, mm. would come up up to me after gigs and so forth, or email me, or through social media, and just kind of like really share their experiences, really relate. Like I had, and also it's not just like people who came from where I came from or had my experiences, people from far different experiences as well. Yeah. Um, and I think that was it, like that, and, and it was just from that. And then honestly, just one thing, led to another it wasn't always smooth there was plenty of times where I thought about giving up or I did give up and you know um came back and rewrote had new ideas and stuff but I think all of it is just a stage of like finding yourself and recreating yourself and I think that's what's happened like I can't say I planned any of it yeah and do you think that your um you being Congolese had anything to do with that um with your uh, output in Um, literature being Congolese definitely does add an element of creativity like just naturally we're a creative people if you especially look at like uh the music and the way we dress and all of that very flamboyant very 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 colorful um and i grew up in a household or community of storytellers you know especially 
uh, in my mum's church and um, all the uncles and aunties at the parties and stuff and all the stories they told of their childhood. I would listen to the stories and just be fascinated. Mm -hmm. And so, because I was quite a good listener, I was always intrigued by people. I think a lot of that stayed in me. And I was also able to use that kind of detail in my work as well. So I think it was complementary to my creativity. But I like to think that I would have been this creative regardless of, do you know what I mean, where where I was born or where I come from. So with regards to the topics that you discuss in your writing, like, can you tell me a bit about that? Um, Well, most of the time I'm just writing about my my experiences, um, writing about the way that I see the world or what compels my understanding of humanity. So, like, um, a lot of my poetry and writing is centred around being a refugee around war, conflict, around love, um, joy, sadness. I like I I like the um, goofy, happy poem yes. as much as like the traumatic, sad poems. Yes. Do you know what I mean? And I think they're both equally as important. Um, but ultimately, I'm just trying to I'm just trying to write what I feel, you know, and then just trying to put something that's authentic and that's genuine out there, and hope that um, others will engage with it. When it comes to writing, I know that it's a very personal thing and it's something that it's just you and uh, whatever it is that you used to write, right? It's just between... An old laptop. Right? <laughs> okay. <laughs> some people go with a typewriter. Some, <laughs> it, 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 some go a slab of wood. You never know, you know? <laughs> you never know. So when it comes to writing, I know that it's very personal. So I'm wanting to find out where do you feel like you enter to bring out some of... That, that that literature. When I was writing my first novel, when I write poems, right, it's like you're in a state of mind where it's almost like an elevated sense of consciousness. I think that's the best way I can des- describe it. You know, it's like a it's like a second dimension, or it's like a next stage of your spirit where you are not bound by, like, your physical reality, if that makes sense. Um, And literally, it's like, if I remember when when I write poems, so the poems that I've written in the past, it's like there's a, if you imagine, it's like a window. And for a moment, that window, imagine you're in a room with no oxygen, right? And outside is air. And that air is poetry. And for a moment, the window opens and you have to get in as much air as possible and then the window closes, right? It's like you don't know how long that window is going to stay open for. So you have to try and get it. And that's that's how I feel. It's like that rush. It's like, yes, I need this. This is what's helping me breathe. Um, And that's how I felt with my... When I was writing my novel as well, I just remember my mind being in a like absolute state of... Like a peak state of concentration mm-hmm. you know nothing nothing could have like taken me off this path mm-hmm. and I look back and think wow I wrote like maybe a thousand two thousand words every single day for months and months and months and months like and I was so focused on this thing but now like if you ask me to respond to a few emails I'm like oh I'll do it tomorrow I'll do it tomorrow I can't even, I'll do it. you know I'm so easily distracted like oh let me just watch another episode of Netflix but it's just like your mind goes into a like when you fully believe in what it is that you're doing your mind goes into another state 
and it just produces you know that's why i think being creative writing creating art whatever it is music etc it's a spiritual thing you know you really have to be like whether you're aware of it or not i think you really have to have like a sense of um like a spiritual connection with whatever you're producing you do you really do like i love that idea of like you know the window opening honestly it really feels like that yeah, and you know, you've got a ru- you've got a rush and write it as well you cannot be distracted by by anything and i remember a couple of times i've been like oh that's a good idea for a poem and i'm like oh you know what i'll write it tomorrow uh or or like what would happen i'll be sleeping or something mm-hmm. and i'll wake up and i'll be like oh that's a good idea oh, i remember it. i'll definitely remember that in the morning mm-hmm. wake up in the morning it's gone i was like what was that thing? i can't remember yeah those are it's the gone. worst <laughs> those it's are gone. the worst Do you know what that's mean, a rookie mistake though. rookie mistake I yeah mistake exactly <laughs> exactly now i think of a little notepad by Do my side I mean? if i wake up and let me write that thing right like, exactly <laughs> I've lost too many good poems, man, you or what would have been good poems yeah. to just like carelessness like that. So yeah, you was you said how you um, you write from your experiences and you write about um, how you see the world um, or how you want to see the world. Um, so my question to you now is, what are some of the ways that you would like to see the world? Oh, um, I guess people treating each other how they would want to be treated. And if you look at the world, if you look at the injustice around the world, if you look at, you know, systematic oppression or just personal experience, most people don't want to be isolated. Most people want to have food, shelter, etc. all of these things. Um, but then when you start talking about it on the mass level, that's when it becomes political, you know. And it's like, you say, well, it shouldn't be a political issue for people not to be homeless or people for people to have healthcare or for people to be able to read and write like do you know what i mean and so just those basic fundamental things like is what i would like to see the world but i would also love to see a world that is um like truly equal and that allows every expression of identity no matter where you're from no matter how your human human experience manifests for you to just be you you know, and I think that would make the world so much more beautiful because we spend so much of our time, our limited time here on this planet, trying to figure out who we are, trying to either fight against what's been imposed on us, whether it's from family, friends, society, etc., etc. And then when we eventually come to be comfortable with who we are, we then have to continue to fight just to be who we are like that's so difficult you know um and i think like it's just we are here for such a short limited time we don't know when our moment is and i just don't see why you know why we find it so difficult to understand that as human beings like we live as if we're eternal and we can control everything but we really can't so I mean, that's, yeah, in general, that's how I'd kind of like, like to see the world. I don't have a specific vision. I don't think people have to live like this or like this or do that or whatever. But I think it's about the relationships that you have with your environment and with the people in your environment. When somebody picks up your book, what is the most important thing that you want them to leave with? For them to figure out whatever they need to figure out for themselves you know because something led them to my work they obviously have questions and hopefully 
it will enlighten um, their understanding of themselves just a little bit. I don't write with the intention to suggest a particular idea or a particular um, belief or anything like that. For me, I'm just like sharing a story. And I think, I like to think that whoever reads my work will feel some kind of connection to that story and then it enlightens them because that's like, that's been what's influenced me with the other writers that I've read. You know, I've read certain books where it's been like, okay, this writer is clearly trying to um, present some kind of like political um, opinion or trying to push it in a political direction. But some of my favorite writing has just been about the human experience, you know, something that you can just feel, something that's authentic. And I think that's almost like the beautiful thing. And I think for books as well, because for books, it's like one of the longest forms of art to consume. And so often it's just like having a friend, you know, having a friend sit down with you and just tell you a story and just, you know, they're just there for you and you're sharing and you're listening. And we spend so little time listening, you know, um, uh, yeah, I would just like to, for anyone who reads it just to know that, okay, for the, for this length of time, you have got someone. Like, you're not alone in this world. Your, your experience isn't alone. You know, I think that's, like, probably, yeah, probably closest to the thing that I would say. JJ Bollock kindly gives me the inside scoop on being a writer. He gives real practical steps you can take to becoming one. So let's say I'm, I want to write. Yeah. yeah. Let's say somebody wants to write. Um, what are the practical ways in order to get this done? So if I was out there, had an idea in my head, yeah. and I'm thinking JJ Bola is a writer, how do yeah. I do a JJ? Well, first first thing is don't do a JJ. <laughs> <laughs> one JJ. I mean, like, you, you, you might have been beyond JJ, and then now you're trying to do a JJ, you limit yourself. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, um, I think, for me, I would say, like, what there's almost like two or three ways that I approach this. The first way is your the space that you write in, wherever you write, is really important. So for me, I can't write at home. I can't write in mine because it's just like I'm I'm too distracted. It's like my my sleeping space is my own space in the sense like I don't I like to have minimal thoughts as possible. Do you know what I mean? Like I don't like to think too much. I just like to kind of like zone out a little bit. Um, so I usually go to the right library and I'll like, if I'm at the library, I go to a specific place where I always sit. And when I'm locked in, like I can just get on with it. And so you have to be really aware of like, okay, what is the best working environment for me? Um, plan your stories, know that, know what you're writing about, but also give enough room so that you can create things along the way. And I think it's just about, there's two ways, like following your passion, but also being realistic with yourself. Because if you're looking to write a novel, it's 90,000 words, roughly, yeah? Well, between 80 to 90,000 words. That's not a short amount. Like, that takes a long time to write. And if you do happen to write it, let's say within a year, then it that is a very long journey because, like, you know, you can spend maybe four hours of your day writing. I mean, like, for I've been I freelanced previously, but I've also been working full time. And when I've been working full time and writing, so I'll do my nine to five, and then I'll spend four or five hours afterwards, like also writing. Do you know what I mean? So it's almost like you're doing two jobs back to back. 
But uh, and sometimes I look back and I think, rah, like how did <laughs> how did I do that? Or you know, you're doing back to back gigs or whatever, you're traveling, and I'm just like, I have no idea. But I think you're just you just have to really. I think the most important thing mm. is for you to believe in what you're doing. Like, believe in whatever it is that you've got to write, that that needs to be put out there. And I think if you don't believe in it, then... I mean, it's not to say that you won't be successful with it. Because you will, there's plenty of writers who just write for the sake of writing. Uh But I think if you know your purpose is about something a bit more deeper and meaningful, then you really have to start with, like, believing in what you're writing. Some of us might have the desire to be an author. We have ideas written in papers and hidden in our laptops. I asked JJ Bollar how to turn some of these ideas into full-fledged books. Listen here for how to become a writer. So I've got my manuscript now. I've written even 100,000 words. <laughs> it's not even 90. I've written 100,000 words. I've got this manuscript right in my hands. What do I do with it next, JJ? Well, it's the first draft, I'm assuming, yeah? So, say, like, your short, short-term goals, you start looking at editing, that kind of going back through it, seeing that your story makes sense, and just kind of rework it, rework it, because your first draft is never your final draft. Even the best writer in the world or the best writers in the world never write a first draft and that's it mm-hmm. you know that goes straight to publish um so think about redrafting it etc but if you're looking to get published you have to start approaching agents start approaching uh, publishers and it's literally like a job interview you know there's there's connections luckily there's so many um opportunities mm-hmm through social media, et cetera, et cetera, where you're able to directly follow and get in touch with agents or publishers, et cetera. But there's also um, a really interesting book called Writers and Artists Yearbook, which gets published every year. And in that, they have the details of all the agents in this country and all the publishers in this country as well. So you can literally do a thing where you email every single one and then you say, I've written a manuscript. And, you know, usually what it is, you email... You give a brief introduction of who you are, what your book's about, and the first three chapters. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you just, and it's just a waiting game. Mm-hmm. I remember when I first, so this is, so No no Place to Call Home, which is my current novel. Mm-hmm. Um, that's my second or third attempt at writing a novel. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of like wrote a short novella before, and I remember, this was like in 2011 or so. And I remember when I finished writing, I was like, I'm the sickest writer in the world <laughs> on my days. <laughs> I'm amazing. You know what? This is going to change the world. Um, and it was a really mediocre kind of book. Like, yes. um, and I remember I emailed so many agents at the time and publishers and I was like, I've written this book. It's about this, blah, blah, blah. It's amazing. And then like, I've heard back from very, very few. Um, and it was a bit discouraging, but I think like it's part of the journey, it's part of the process. And I look back now and I think, wow, if that book had gone to publish, I would have been very embarrassed about it because yes. <laughs> it was not good, yes. you know, but you also have to give yourself time to get better. Um, so yeah, from that stage, uh, and also there's loads of different services as well that you can approach. Um, Spread the Word is um, a kind of London charity that works specifically with writers to help them in the direction of their writing career. Um, the literacy, the literacy consultancy, it also helps writers with publishing novels and, and getting edits and feedback for their work. Um, so there's lots of like 
resources out there like now more than ever you know to help writers especially young writers from like marginalized communities to get their work out there so i think it's also just about building those networks and trying to make as much contact as possible so i've got a great manuscript i've edited it and it's really good so the next thing i would do is to find a agent or if i was to publish or if i was to self-publish obviously there's ways to do that amazon and all the other things so you're saying find a good agent you could email all of them or whatever but you have to make sure the work is good yeah you absolutely you have to make sure that the work is good because um sometimes it might be just one or two things a small detail you know um that like I'm I'm quite lucky in that um when I the current agent I have who represents me is an agency called Pontus but they're based in Barcelona um and one day they saw my work I got an email from them and they was like oh, I really like your poetry and they're very much um the kind of agency that represent writers with a purpose you know writers who have something to say um and it was like, oh, have you ever thought about writing a novel? And I was like, oh, I'm actually working on something. So it all happened to come together. Um, but the first draft of my novel was not good. Like, it, <laughs> do you know what I mean? And I can say that looking back. At the time, I thought, wow, I'm sick on my days. But it was not good. It needed a lot of work. But because they saw the potential, you know, um, they really supported me. And still to this day, like, they really support me. And they keep kind of, like, pushing me to say to be more confident in what I'm saying yes. and what I've got to say, you know, regardless of like what people might think or what the industry might think or whether it's going to make me more popular or less popular. Yeah. Just go for it. Um, also, I think like if as a young writer or writer anywhere, if you're trying to find representation, look, look like find out who your favourite writers are, mm-hmm. um, especially your favourite contemporary writers, and then look to see who represents them. And I think that's a good way to like find your foot um, in the industry and also know that you can be at an agency where you feel confident with what you say. Because for me, like I'm quite active on social media. I talk a lot about kind of like social issues and stuff. And, you know, I've been told over the years that, oh, you should tone it down and this and whatever because, you know, it's ruining your opportunities and people uh, all that kind of stuff and I was like no you know what I'm just going to do me like people believe in what I'm saying and it's going to get me where it needs to go Um, and then so when I got this agency um, when they first signed me I was like cool what are they going to think about especially this was like in 2016 um, and it was all during the time of you know the the protests about police brutality black lives matter etc and I was thinking "Mm, what are they going to think you know Um, and I was like you know what like I don't care like I'm doing me Um, and that's what I'm passionate about and I was I was like boom 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 and it was like yeah you know it's a serious issue whatever and it was tweeting about it as well and I was like okay (laughs) okay I see you so you know you find somewhere where you you match like yeah Yeah. exactly you can be yourself you can belong talk about the serious stuff and talk also talk about the relaxed stuff as well Um, so yeah always like find your tribe find your home you know don't just and especially I think this is important don't just accept anything for the sake of for the sake of it yeah so if you're a writer looking for representation Mm -hmm. and an agent or publisher comes out of nowhere and says okay we're going to represent you or we're going to publish you like think long and hard think very very carefully about the kind of commitment or the path that you want to take with that 
because okay. not all representation is good representation okay. you know and not all publishing deals are good publishing deals so a lot of a lot of horror stories out there mm-hmm. you know so just like be patient like if your work is going to come out mm-hmm. it's going to come out yes. you know and, and and is the check sweet is that the ch- check listen nice? i'm gonna say yeah yeah i wish writers got paid what people think writers got paid swear mm-hmm. really yeah because it's like it's not like it it depends yeah because mm-hmm. there there's a lot of opportunities um and so it all depends on the deal that you kind of get if you're independent it's a lot more difficult in terms of financially, if you're from a bigger publishers, then you get a bit more financial support. But also the pressure that comes with having to sell um, and having to make sure there's a market for it. And the thing is, uh, a first book is nowhere near the same as like a first album for 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 uh, an, an artist, for instance. Yeah. So for a lot of uh, writers now, if you look at like all the world famous writers, like let's say like Chimamanda or J.K. Rowling, etc. It took a couple of books for them to kind of like, or even a few books for them to really come to be known as who they are. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, and even um, like for instance, Marlon James, uh, everyone's talking about him now. He's got a book, uh, his book uh, that won the Booker, and then got another book coming out now. Um, and that was that's like his fourth book you know so for a long time he was writing books and people weren't really knowing too tough who he was um but one of the good things is there's a lot of organizations there's a lot of like residencies and funding and stuff that you can apply for but you definitely do have to be applying for it you have to put yourself in the in 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 the position to be able to acquire that because no like it's not like I think people often see it almost like in a fairy tale way, yeah. where you write a book, you get a sweet check, you can you can chill for a bit, like yeah. do you know what I mean? You don't have to work or whatever, yeah. whatever. Yeah, yeah. And I, one thing I've noticed is like, you probably have to work hard. Like I'm having to work harder than I've ever had to work, oh. you know. And a lot of that is because you can't just write your first book and rest. Yes. Like, whilst you're writing your first book and that's mm-hmm. being published, you need to start already right, working on your second one and knowing, start coming up with your ideas, mm-hmm. you know, third one, fourth one, or whatever, because a book takes a long time to put together. Mm-hmm. Um, and almost always, whenever a book is published, it's almost two years behind, mm-hmm. if, in the sense that however long it took me to write, say if, if I finished writing a book today, mm-hmm. chances are the earliest I could get it published will probably be end of 2020 mm. or like 2020 early 2021 that's how far in advance yes, do you know what I mean is. like mm-hmm. the the publishing industry works so yeah but I think you know honestly if I and I don't want to say this in an ideal way mm-hmm. but if you if you're writing to make money you are literally <laughs> literally it for the wrong reasons do you know what's so interesting about that the statement like that statement is the same way all around like if you're making music to make money you might as well do something but it's so interesting because it's like money is what everybody needs yeah everyone needs it and i'm saying like you can't do anything for it you can't do it this is what i'm saying it's like you need it you know you need it to survive we know that but if you chase if you chase it then that's when it is least likely to come. Yes. Do you know what I mean? Especially in the creative arts, because yes. a lot of it 
is about people engagement. Yeah. You know, and when you're putting your art, art out there, mm-hmm. people can tell whether you're being authentic or not. Yeah. And I don't know, like for me, I don't know who'd want to sit through 90,000 words mm-hmm. just to make a bit of money. That is not like, I, you know what I mean? <laughs> that is not a fun experience. Mm-hmm. Like when I look, when I see most of my artists, friends, musicians, etc., the journey that they've got to go through to create what they create. Yeah. Like it's not easy, you know? It's never for the money because ah. it's like, you must be, you must be crazy. Yeah. <laughs> you must be crazy. People romanticize it. Yeah. People make it seem like, oh my gosh, you're right. You know, you get to, nah, it is tough and I think for me I would have had like a much easier quote unquote life if I just like stuck to a job and was just like yeah that's it I'm just going to do this for 20 years 30 years and you know it's like a 9 to 5 no disrespect to a 9 to 5 obviously I still work and stuff but I'm saying if I wasn't aspiring to also write like all the extra stuff of the expectation and all of this and the production Mm -hmm. like it wouldn't be an issue um, if you if you want to just make money, go and go and play the stock market. For real, for real, go and do the monopoly guy. Because yeah, like, <laughs> yeah. that will bring you that will bring you more money. Like yeah. do you know? And go I think and trade. that's that's really great that you know create, create people who are creative uh, are more so serving the um, serving something that's not an object. Yeah, yeah, you know yeah. because that is what keeps the consciousness, uh, the stream of consciousness that allows everyone to really appreciate creativity. Yeah. Because it's coming from that place that's not serving any materials. I speak to JJ about his perspective on feminism and where his stance is when it comes to the movement. He also speaks to me about how men see the movement. Um, are you a feminist? Right, so, ooh, I refer myself more to like a feminist ally or an ally to like mm-hmm. a feminist movement. Reason being is, you know, I'm definitely for gender equality and I think it's a uh, a very, very important conversation or movement in our times and in all times. However, I think one of the things that comes with a man identifying as a feminist is almost as if, like, you get, like, a blue check. You get, like, a tick. Do you <laughs> know what I mean? Like, you get verified. You're like, oh, he's all right. Mm. And then, a lot of the times, men who's, who identify as feminists are not okay. Like, do you know yeah, what I mean? There's still yeah. men who might identify as feminists, but still do a whole bunch of madness. Yes. And so, I, for me, I don't think it's necessary for men to necessarily be feminist. I think where men's work lies in the movement of gender equality uh-huh. is with other men. Like, we... Because, you know, we, we're in a privileged position, like, in terms of the patriarchy. So I think it's for us, rather than to, like, join the... Uh, movement where women are we have to go where men are and say yo men like this is this is what we're messing up with and this is what we have to do and this is what's going on so that's why you know I, I wouldn't necessarily call myself a feminist per se but you would say that you are in al- you're in allyship with the feminist yeah, movement yeah yeah and um, why do you think that men have a problem with feminism and I know that you don't speak for all men mm-hmm. however from your perspective and yeah. your opinion yeah. why do you think that there is a problem with men and this word feminism or this movement well I think for two things I think like uh, on one aspect it's about male privilege right and men okay. you know men absolutely know we have privilege in society um, behind closed doors the conversation that I have with my male friends like there's no confusion about it. So publicly, it might be, oh, you know, the arguments might be um, either way or men might not admit to it. But absolutely, 
men we are fully aware of the privilege that we have whether it's like sexual privilege in terms of like not being judged for you know having multiple women versus the way women are judged or anything Mm. like that like we're very aware of it and I think it's like that saying goes when you've been accustomed to privilege equality feels like oppression Mm -hmm. you know and so each man knows that they are on the cusp of like getting the their, their male privileges and gender equality or feminism feels like an attack mm-hmm. on those privileges. But also, so I think that's one aspect. The second aspect is a lot of men just haven't read up on feminism. A lot of men just aren't aware of the principles or the ideals of the movement. They're not aware just how much feminism has influenced male thought you know it has influenced progressive masculinity mm-hmm. and has fought to save the lives of so many men that like there's never been a male movement that has cared more about men than feminism has yeah you know so i mean if there is i'd love i'd love to know about it. i'll put it out to social media <laughs> before and it was like and no one's been able to tell me otherwise you yeah. know feminism has done so much, and even for myself as well, in the sense like one of the books early on that I read, well, two books, um, both by Bell Hooks, uh, was The Will to Change and We Real Cool, both on uh, masculinity and black male masculinity as well. And that opened up my eyes way more than anything that I'd heard from any male movement because there hasn't been none in that way. You know, a lot of men are very much invested in the patriarchal ideals. And it doesn't even serve us in the long run. Those are the two main reasons why. Um, Because if you look at what's happening in society today, especially with men, the um, rates of suicide, Mm -hmm. where men uh, die by suicide at three times a higher rate, rates of male violence, you know, men are 90% the perpetrators of violent crimes. Men are also the group that are the most killed um, by violent crimes as well. So it's like, we do it the most, we mm-hmm. perpetuate the most, but we also attack, attack each other the most, mm-hmm. you know. So, male patriarchy and, and gender um, and gender differences really affect us as well. But yeah. because we're in a position of privilege, we don't see it. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And we keep trying to aspire to something that actually destroys us. Yeah. So, I think those are the main reasons why... Like, men are opposed to it. Um, Do you see a coming together in certain communities? Um, For example, in London, with regards to um, this sort of equality and understanding. Do you see, maybe in the future or in the present, do you see this community forming? I think, I mean, it has no choice to if um humanity is to survive if a community or cultures or a people are to survive and you have to come to together but before what usually happens before that level before that understanding is reached there's always a disruption mm-hmm. and so i think at this stage where we're at right now there's almost like a disruption a contention between men and women between communities etc where people are trying to figure out who they are because yes. a lot of the times if you're speaking to someone who might not have the same level of understanding on a particular t- topic as you you have to be patient with them in terms of how they arrive at that topic right so 
even though you like we with the whole movement thing, you want things to move quickly and quickly, and they should. But also at the same time, it's kind of like there's a lot of unlearning work to do, yeah. you know. And I think where we're at right now is like the different stages of unlearning. But ultimately, I think there is progress. I think there is a coming together. And I think if I look at like the younger generations and so forth, and just about the differences of representation, mm-hmm. how it was compared to what was like is like previously, I definitely think there is like room for for growth you know there's a lot of growth happening yeah. and there's a lot of stuff that's happening now that wasn't happening 10 years ago yeah. you know so hopefully it's going in the right direction when faced with difficult decisions sometimes involving money sometimes involving your passion you need to know which way to turn when i wrote no place to call home and we was pitching it to publishers um there was one publisher in particular a quite big one um and they were they were fifty fifty about it, um, and then in the end they ended up rejecting it. Mm-hmm. Book got published, it, it did well, and got some recognition and stuff. And then I saw the writer, um, so I saw the publisher at um, some event, and they were like, "Ah, oh, JJ, um, you know, I just wanted to say that if I could go back, if I had a second chance, I really would have published your book." Like, I, you know, I didn't, I didn't know then what I know now. Um, and I really, really regret, regret making that decision. Mm. And, you know, I didn't, I had no hard feelings towards them, although I was quite disappointed by the rejection initially because it would have niced me. Mm. Um, I was later on, I was thinking, wow, like, I'm glad I, cause what they were asking me to change, I didn't want to change those things, you know, cause that's what really was, made yeah, you know, it's what made the story for me. Um, and I was just thinking if I would have changed X, Y, Z, then I would have lost so much of my own authenticity, you know, just to satisfy someone else who in the end ended up wishing that they would assign me in the first place. Do you know what I mean? So that really made me um, kind of believe in my intuition and instincts and um, strive to, 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 to be more convicted in what I'm writing, you know, and if someone doesn't like it, they don't like it. And that's, that's fine by me. What do you have to thank writing for? For allowing me to be me, man. Like, I mean, it sounds corny as hell, <laughs> you know, but like I genuinely, you know, don't know who I would have been without it. Um, uh, you know, there was a, a, like a particular stage in my life where I felt invisible and not necessarily invisible in the sense of like fame or recognition or anything like that, but feeling invisible to myself. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? And not even seeing myself and not even seeing my own worth or what I'm able to contribute or what I can put into this world. Like feeling as if if I disappeared or if I left tomorrow that, you know, th- that that would just be it, mm-hmm. you know. Um, it would not make any difference at all. And writing really allowed me to, I guess, create myself or to be able to see myself. It's kind of like, um, you know, those kind of like pictures where it slowly reveals itself over time. Like, um, and that's what writing has done for me. And I feel way more confident with myself than I ever have. Um, and also I think, it gives you a certain level of, 
kind of like self-respect and understanding in that you're not living to satisfy others. You know, you don't feel like you have to fulfill others' expectations of you. Um, you realize that life is also way too short yeah. and there's books to write. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> <For real? laughs> you got to write, you got to create. Yeah. Um, and so I really spend my time and my energy is just different now. And I look at my early 20s, my early 20s, especially uh, as like a peak time of being severely anxious. And I remember wasting so many years with just like what was anxiousness and I guess like just depressive states of being not really sure what was going on. And I look back and think, oh man, you know, I just kind of forced my way through it and I'm lucky I got to where I got to. But I look back and think, man, you should have given yourself time. If only there was someone to say, hey, look, you know, it's this or that or whatever. Yeah. Um, and I think that's what writing, writing has done for me. I really don't think I'd be here without it. And that's why I don't, you know, I don't think of it in terms of like, oh, I'm making money or this or that or whatever. Mm-hmm. But I think the fact that it's allowed me so many amazing experiences and allowed me to live, like, do you know what I mean? To actually live in a sense of like fulfillment, mm-hmm. you know? And I get to travel and I get to connect with people. Mm-hmm. I went to, uh, did a literary festival in India mm-hmm. last week. And I'm connecting with young people from all over. Like, and, and I'm just like, I, you know, people are connecting with my story and they're saying it's their story and they're sharing and so forth. And that's not what we're seeing in the mainstream media. Yeah. But there's people around the world who really value, like, authenticity, yeah. you know? Yeah. And I think that's what it's giving me, mm-hmm. is that sense of being authentic to myself. Mm-hmm. So wherever I go, I thought, uh, yeah, I can be myself and yeah. I don't have to feel pressured about, you know, fitting in or going into a room and standing out or being noticed or you know, having someone like me or anything like that, like, you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's allowed me to just be. Yeah. And for that, like, that's worth all the money in the world, you know. Honestly, JJ, this has been an amazing conversation. I don't think you understand. There's so much that you, so much gems that you've dropped. Um, I always give three last questions before, yeah. uh, at the end. Um, the first question is, you are currently listening to WIABGK, the What If a Black Girl New podcast. This podcast was sponsored by my one woman show, showing at the Battersea Arts Centre on the 21st, 22nd, and 23rd of March. Four women, titled Four Women. Get your tickets now. Using the sentence, what if a black girl knew, could you recommend me a book that I should read? Ooh, okay. A book that you should read, what if a black girl knew? Um, I think there's so, honestly, there's so many amazing books out there, especially from black women writers. There's a book by Bell Hooks called Communion, where um, it's called Communion, the female search for love, I believe. And I think that journey of love and self-love is really, really crucial. Um, and I think understanding the process of that is so important, especially from a young age, because you, 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 you're often taught to feel like as black women, society, you know, deems you undesirable. Mm-hmm. And then... If you internalize that, you start to think there's a problem with you, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then that can have such a negative impact on your own well-being, you know, and especially in terms of like relationships, 
with those with the people around you. Um, but that book was really, really enlightening, you know, because I, I read that a good few years back, but just to try and gain some insight, you know, to an experience um, outside of my own. Um, and I think like that's definitely a book that, you know, I would absolutely recommend. What if a bat go on you? Um, Communion by Bell Hooks. Amazing. Okay, great. I'm going to have to pick up that book. <laughs> I love Bell Hooks, though, but I haven't read Communion. Um, the second question is, using the same sentence, um, what if a black girl knew, could you um, give advice to your younger self mm. by using that sentence, what if mm. a black girl knew? What if a black girl knew that one day you're going to have some sauce? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, one day you're gonna have some sauce. The sauce is coming. It, it will come. <laughs> it will be slow, but it will come one day. <laughs> nah, I'm joking. I'm joking. Um, I think like, what if a black girl knew that you have a good heart? Like, because I think, especially my teenagers and the environment I grew up in, I didn't. I wasn't on any badness or anything like that. Um, but it was hard to be myself in that environment. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And so sometimes, and especially when you're like, you know, you, you're trying to get to a certain stage of vulnerability, mm-hmm. it takes a lot of unpacking and a lot of like removing layers. And yeah. frankly, when you're a teenager or when you're an early adult, like that's really hard to do. And it yeah. takes a long time to be able to do that. Yeah. Um, and so I just think like at that certain point in my life, like the people that I had around me, if they just kind of like allowed you to blossom enough so that you can be your authentic self, mm-hmm. then I think it would have changed like the relationships that I'd had like earlier on in a significant way. You could take a seed. It's just, if a seed is in the most fertile soil, it will grow, right? Mm-hmm. To the most beautiful flower. But you take a seed, you plant it somewhere that's infertile or somewhere that's, you know, concrete, whatever, whatever people will start to blame the seed when in fact it's the environment that's not fertile, you know. My last question to you is, using the sentence, what if a black girl knew, could you tell me somebody that I should know? For the writers out there, so there's um, writers, etc. anyone who's aspiring to be a writer, particularly black women, I would say, what if a black girl knew about an organisation called Rewrite? So Rewrite is um, an online platform that helps uh, specifically black women um, further their career in writing. So they provide online courses, they they provide um, editing, book reviews, etc. events as well. And I think especially in this day and age where if you're a black woman writer, it's difficult to find the kind of connections and networks, etc. or to find your voice or to know, you know, how the industry works or to find to find your tribe or people who are like-minded. Um, but yeah, that organization, Rewrite, is amazing. They, they do great work and they just help like bring black women's narratives more to the mainstream and to the center. Um, so yeah, I would definitely say, what if a black girl knew about uh, an organization for writers, black women writers called Rewrite? Amazing. Well, yeah. thank you so thank much. Thank you for having JJ. me, darling. Oh, it was, it was fun. I have learned so much about being a writer, an artist, and a creative from JJ Bola. And I hope that you have too. What if a black girl knew? JJ Bola. What if a black girl knew?
That she would be desired by others only if she desired herself. That beauty is not a shade but a mindset and the best indicator of it is self-confidence. As I talk some sense, insert here confidence. <laughs>